0: hello and welcome to switzer tv property i'm peter switzer and on this week's show we go looking for the good value buys in this very hot property market tom panas of the real estate gym says look for units then destiny.com.au's margaret lomas looks at the four property buying mistakes you have to avoid to end up not being in the poorhouse and property lenders paul miliotis and paul mirin of m squared capital tells us what is really going on for borrowers that can't win over the banks this is a lesson on the reality of real estate for non-normal borrowers so without any further ado let's kick off with tom panos (music) Well, the housing market is on fire, and one guy who's used to seeing plenty of fire in the housing market is Tom Penos. Now, Tom, you tell us—you're you know, from so many areas. I always knew you as an important consultant to the REA Group, but tell us—you know—what what your your real role is nowadays.
1: So, I've been I've been working for News Corp for. Um about 20 years. Most of the time, uh, now it's as a consultant, and I commentate on the market for um, for them, and um, I do that via their uh, uh, media um, outlets. Um, but I also spend a lot of time in uh, educating the real estate industry with a portal, the Real Estate Gym. So I've got you know around 30,000 um, opt-ins. Um, in that uh, membership side, so I'm very, very close to the behaviours of what buyers and sellers are doing in short periods of time, Peter. So, um, yeah, real estate it is with News Corp and real estate.com. And,
0: and, and on Saturdays, you're an auctioneer, aren't you?
1: Correct. So I run uh, an auction business, and um, I do uh, I do about 10 myself. Others are outsourced to uh, other people and um, it's, it's hotting up. This is, uh, last Saturday I had a, a few on, this Saturday there's uh, even more on, um, but we're moving into uh, the hot auction season as we speak across Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane.
0: Okay, now I told you, I, I told, well, I introduced you, I said,
1: this is a very hot property market. How hot is it? It's very hot, Peter, but it's not hot in everything. It's hot in houses, no question about it. It It's hot in regional Australia. It's hot in first home buyers. It's hot in prestige markets where you've got all these expats that are coming back, they're trying to get on a flight uh, with a carrier and they're coming back with a lot of money. These expats, they were on half a million to a million bucks a year, they've got cash. So all those markets are affected. But let me tell you, unit markets are not hot. Units are not selling. In fact, they're going down, generally speaking.
0: All right. Now, when I'm doing my stock market show, I often talk about Warren Buffett, and he says, be greedy when everyone's fearful, and be fearful when everyone's greedy. So is this a buying opportunity in the unit market for, for the long-term player?
1: It is. It is. And if you, you know, like, you know, Peter, I want to, I mean... I think when you buy real estate, you look at it a little bit as a a marriage. You don't buy real estate because, oh, like think about getting married. I better get married quickly because I'm running out of partners and then you (laughs) end up marrying someone you don't want to marry because, oh, you thought they are all going to run out. And that's a case that happens sometimes in real estate. Now, in respect to units, at the moment, you're in a good spot if you're a buyer because you're buying and there's a lot of stock on the market that's not being sold. So you've got plenty of choices. So I think that it is a buying opportunity, particularly, Peter, when the vaccine gets rolled out. And by the way, you're the only person that I got that I spoke to during the last year or so that said earlier on the vaccine is coming. Don't panic. Don't panic. And in fact, that's eventuated now, and it's all it's factored into the way the markets are operating. But if you're a if you're a, a buyer right now, you can buy a unit at a discounted price and say a year or two years ago and know that when the vaccine comes, you're gonna get the behavior of people saying, hey, it's safe to be in an apartment building again because one of the causes of units losing a bit of popularity in this market is, Peter, people got concerned that they were gonna have what happened in New York with high rise buildings Mm. and people wanted space. That's going to change. And also regional Australia might change, Peter. I I mean, there's a big exodus of people that have gone to regional Australia and that's booming. But if you look at what happened in the 1920s, when people with the Spanish flu, people left, and then when they realised, hey, we're not going to die, we can actually get on with the lives, they came back to the cities again. They're urban dwellers. Humans want to be with other people.
0: Yeah. So, So in a sense, what you're saying then uh, provided you're prepared to take a longer-term view, there could be some really good buying out there. But here's my my follow-up question. Then, imagine I, I say, right, look, I, I'm a property investor, uh, and I know units are a good value at the moment. If I buy a good unit, what's the likelihood I can find a tenant to actually pay pay me rent?
1: You're going to find a tenant, but you're going to have to factor in a 10 to 15 percent discount on the rent. Yeah, because there's no ifs or buts about it vacancy rates are higher Mm. and rental discounts are the biggest they've been in many many years and the reason why that is peter is first home buyers who are traditionally the person that was once a tenant are now buying it's cheaper to buy with the rates that we have it's cheaper to buy so you're going to have to discount your rental but hey here's the deal you get 500 instead of 600 right Mm. for a year work that out that's going to cost you five grand right five grand in you know rental losses well i've got to tell you if you buy something at a hundred grand discounted five grand is insignificant when you look at the fact that you're buying at a discounted purchase price
0: yeah and i guess the bottom line also is make sure you you buy a property that tenants want to live in, you know, close to either the, the transport facilities, uh, uh, you know, the beaches, all those sort of places. They're the places where you're likely to find a tenant rather than probably some areas that are less attractive.
1: The better the tenant, the better the property, the better the rental income, the better your life as a landlord. Mm-hmm. So Peter, I think not a bad idea is to say, hey, would I put my kids in here? Mm-hmm. Would, would I put them in there? If, you, if, if it passes the family test, you're going to be inclined to appeal to the masses in the rental market.
0: All right. Now, if you're a potential buyer and you're finding you're missing out at auctions all the time and you must see a lot of disappointed faces at the moment, do you do you, eventually, do you say, look, eventually APRA is going to come along and, and make it harder for people to get loans and prices will start falling again? Or... Do you, do you bite the bullet and pay pay more,
1: Peter? If I knew the answer to that question, I probably would be spending eight hours a day out there buying and selling real estate, knowing that I'm gonna, you know, forecast on what's going to happen. So it's very difficult, you know, to turn around and be very conclusive with that. But I will say this: mid February to end of March. going to have a small window buying opportunity and the reason i say it is this is the time when vendors saturate the market so you're going to have a supply of more stock than other times in the year peter everyone wants to try and get their property sold during that you know australia day and easter period so there is going to be stock on there so i would suggest if you're a buyer take advantage of more listings in the market, mid-Feb to sort of end of March, just before the Good Friday. Mm -hmm. Um, To your second question, you know, APRA, you know, interest rates, um, having um, the market sort of change because it's too hot. I don't know about that. And the reason is that there's still a couple of factors there that. Who knows, Peter, if the media starts writing stories, hey, JobKeeper ends in March, hey, holidays on mortgages are over, that could potentially just sort of soften it up a little bit, yeah. you know, Good point. soften it up a little bit, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So I would be taking advantage of, of that period there. But if you're, a, like, you know, if you're a buyer that's buying a home to live in, hey, don't make a decision based on the market make a decision based on your life. Don't go off and buy a home and say, hey, we're really happy we bought this home because it was a really, really good buy. Oh, unfortunately, we're gonna have to drive the kids to school an hour each way each day, right? That's not a great decision because you end up selling it sooner than what you want because you can't cope with the new lifestyle and you're up for stamp duty and, you know, um, legal fees and agents' commissions. So pick the property based on your lifestyle first before on the market. If you're an investor, it's a different kettle of fish. Last question
0: mate, you have seen the newspaper report saying that uh, house prices uh, are, are possibly going to rise 30% over the next three years. What what was your reaction when you heard that?
1: I think, Peter, I think um, that's quite possible and you know, if I'm an investor in the marketplace, when I look at the fact that there's been a year that prices actually went down, 15%. And if you're saying to me that, oh, they're going to go up roughly 10% a year, that's what you're sort of saying, mm, 30% yep. in three years, I've got to say, that's nothing. that's nothing glamorous. I mean, realistically, it's pretty good. But if you amortize that over five years and you factor in a couple of years that it didn't go up and a year that it went down, I think um 10% should be something that is quite possible and anyone in property would hope so but look there are parts of Australia that aren't going to get 30% growth there's some mining towns Peter you know what they're like they have periods where they go off you know you look at some of the areas like Gladstone right yeah. um, all areas yes correct yeah. they don't all they don't all they don't all perform uh, brilliantly all the time um, but I think Sydney, I think metropolitan areas, that is quite possible. 30% in three years, absolutely. Tom Panos,
0: thanks for your insights. Thanks a lot, Peter. Well, at a time when we're hearing that the house prices of Australia are booming and are apparently set to boom for at least three more years, that's the, the claim from even the Reserve Bank of Australia, but it doesn't mean it's going to be right. I want to talk to Margaret Lomas and to make sure that people actually, if they're going to become property investors, they do it right. And one thing I've found is that our financial planning clients here, we often get people who have never looked after before coming with a, a batch of silly properties that they've bought, been recommended by, I think, financial planners who haven't got a clue. And I want to make sure that the people watching this learn how to do property investment properly and Margaret Lomas is the right person to do it. Thanks for joining us, Margaret.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: All right, Margaret, you would see it as well. I'm sure you come people who try to do it themselves even or have been advised by other people, even speakers at conferences or whatever. What do people need to know about investing in property successfully?
1: Mm.
2: You know, I always find it very interesting that when people want to, to invest anywhere, they're very happy to consult with a financial advisor when it comes to their share portfolios and their managed funds. And then when it comes to their taxation, they'll go to an accountant. But when it comes to property, for some reason, they feel that they're qualified to make a decision on what's best for their financial future, just because it's property. Mm. I think the very physical nature of property gives people a false sense of security And a lot of people think that, you know, they were we're all born in property, we're all raised in property. And many people think this gives them an edge or the ability to assess whether or not a, a particular property is right for them. And I guess the most critical thing that people need to understand when it comes to property is in exactly the same way that not every share is going to do well, not every property is going to do well either. There is no such thing as a property market the property market doesn't go up and down with regularity. It doesn't do it with any uniformity either. So some areas could be growing while others aren't and not all property grows. You know, I often hear the spruikers saying property doubles every 10 years. In fact, my son is looking to buy a property at the moment. And I was with him at an inspection where the real estate agent said directly to him, property doubles every 10 years. And, you know, I can point to hundreds of examples of property that hasn't even doubled in 20 years Mm. and hasn't even gone up in 10 years. So there are so many things that people need to understand about property and they need to get more serious about it and treat it as the investment that it is rather than that thing that I buy because it's the next step in my retirement planning.
0: Yeah, and some people actually buy property because they only get the tax deductions And they don't think about the the capital growth implications. They don't think about whether they're going to have a tenant in there all the time. And these are the sort of things that you would make sure the people you advise that they get
2: right. Yeah, look, it, it always worries me when someone's accountant has told them that they've paid too much tax and they need to buy a property. And then next moment, they own a property on a golf course estate somewhere Um, in some random suburb in God knows where because it's come with fabulous tax deductions and then they're very disappointed when 10 years later the property is probably worth considerably less than they paid for it. They don't have much of a secondary market just when they need the money because they need to sell down for whatever reason they have difficulty getting out and the property sits on the market for 527 days and then they take a low price and realise that all they got out of it along the way was a bit of a tax deduction that might have reduced their tax by a little bit, but nowhere near enough to compensate them for the big loss that they have on selling that property at the end of the day. So the thing about a a good tax deduction is it might reduce your tax, but only insofar as it gives you back some of your tax tax to help you pay the expenses on that property to maybe hold it a little longer. Mm. But those tax deductions don't do anything for capital growth and they certainly don't guarantee you'll get a, yep. get capital growth. Yep. And very often, the bigger the deduction, the more likely that that property is probably situated somewhere where we're not going to see big growth in the first place.
0: Yeah. But I, I do know that over time, if, if you've got a client who picture a really good property and all that sort of stuff, the, 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 the tax benefits can make it easier to own a really good property. And you, you also recommend the use of quantity surveyors as, as well, in the past you have anyway, that actually help you get maximize your legitimate tax deductions.
2: And there's certainly tax deductions that are an advantage and make them often a little more advantageous in the eyes of the investor than perhaps having a share portfolio. And they're often used, those deductions are often used in the debates that property people will have against share people in what makes it a better investment. Mm. But I really want people to understand that First of all, tax deductions are the icing on the cake and should never be the driving force behind how you choose property. But secondly, there should never be a debate about whether shares or property are different or or better. They're just different and and more appropriate for where you are in life um, or different stages in your life. So there are people who might come to me and want to buy property as an investment. And for whatever reason, after examining their financial circumstances, property may not be the right thing for them. They could be closer to retirement. They may not have a lot of money in superannuation and therefore buying a property with five years to retirement is unlikely to get you the outcome that you need for that day you retire. If on the other hand, you're five years from retirement and you have significant super, then it could be that by the time you retire, you can take up that super and live off that while the property sits there and has that opportunity to perform. And you might not need that property to provide benefits to you until you're maybe 10 or 15 years into retirement. So I guess what I'm getting at, Pete, is that one of the most important things about buying property as um, an investor and learning how to become a good investor, and I've got probably four good points to make. But the first one is that it has to be financially suitable for where you are on your investment time horizon. Um, you know, and that also governs what you choose as an investment. Some investments may have a very negative cash flow, but a good opportunity for short-term growth. Other properties might have a very good cash flow, but a longer term opportunity for short term growth. And it doesn't take a genius to work out that each of those properties is going to suit someone at a different stage in their investing time horizon. A young person just getting into property has a long time to wait for that capital growth. And in the short term, they're probably on lower wages, They might be still having a great time in life. They might not have as much personal cash flow available and getting that cash flow to cover the costs on the property becomes critical. Someone who is an older person closer to retirement who probably has the kids already left home, their personal cash flows may have improved and they might have more money. They might be at the top of their career and earning bigger incomes. They can afford to support those short-term negative cash flows in favor of getting that growth sooner. Having said all of that, that particular formula isn't necessarily precise or exact for all property. Some properties give really good cash flow and grow quickly and some properties give bad cash flow and never grow. And this is where learning what makes property grow becomes critical if you're going to be an investor. Yeah, and
0: and the point you're also making is for different sorts of people, different sorts of investments might work. But you can't just give one cookie cut a recommendation this is what you do Uh, and i I, and i I guess it also underlines the point that sometimes you do need an expert who's a trustworthy and not uh, pushing a a particular product to to say to you this is what suits you not this
2: yeah, exactly. And th- that probably brings me to my second point, which is to not only be aware that the spruikers are definitely still out there and whenever property's running hot, they get more prevalent, but that there are different kinds of spruikers. There are the, the ones that are easy to spot. And then there are the ones that are a little harder to spot. And while I agree that you need the right people on your team, You know you'll always have a financial advisor for your share investments unless you think you can be a good share investor i know i'm not um and i need a financial advisor for my share investing you'll always have an accountant for your tax because he's the one who's going to get you know the best return for you on your tax you always need a property person to help you buy the right kind of property because unless you're in the game you aren't an expert but there are a couple of rules around how you choose. The first one is to be be aware of the obvious spruker. Now the obvious spruker is still the guy who has the big seminar, which is free invite you to that seminar. And he often has financial advisors, unfortunately, linked to him where he's offered them a big commission on any property sales. And that financial advisor will recommend to their client that they go along to this free seminar. The thing about the free seminar is it might be free, but there's always going to be a hook there. And a lot of people are a little powerless to avoid those hooks. The hook could be that this fabulous investment, which they're obviously going to make it look great in the seminar, only has 10 spots available or this big uh, workshop where you learn how to become a better investor and learn those secret things that only these spruikers appear to know, which costs you 15 or 20,000 to attend, only has five spots available. Or if you sign up on the night, you get it for half price. Um, And those seminars will always have a a 24-hour money-back guarantee. 24 hours after you get into that seminar, you're not happy you get your money back. But often, if you come to the end of it, you're still not happy, then it's too late for that. So they've got some real strategies. And unfortunately, you might think you can go along to these and you'd be really, you know, you'd be the stone statue and you won't fall prey to them. But you just do when you get there because the offers often sound too good to be true. And I've seen some really horrendous strategies offered at those particular seminars, ones that often take advantage of and, um, hapless homeowners who have fallen into financial straight, dire financial straits. And th- the attendees at these seminars are taught how to take advantage of them. Hmm. So that's the obvious, art. But, you know, there are also property advisors who might seem legitimate to you who really aren't doing the best thing for the client. And taking up from your point about, you know, all property is not right for all people. There are very many people who call themselves property investment advisors or buyer's agents, but in reality, Their stock is limited to whatever they're sourcing from a particular developer or two. That developer is giving them kickbacks that you'll never know about because they don't have to be disclosed to you by law. Um, You may or may not pay the, the buyer's agent or advisor money on top of that. And what you're doing is you're being sold into an investment that nobody's assessed whether or not it suits your financial circumstances, risk profile and time horizon. So you need to be very aware that those people exist and there are a considerable amount of them in the industry.
0: Yeah, that's two. What's your third point then?
2: So my next point is that if you're going to buy property as an investment, and you know that I think it's a great idea. I've obviously put together a big property portfolio of my own. I'm much better at that than I am at anything else. So my property portfolio has done better for me than anything else. Although, you know, I'm a big um I'm a big proponent of super as well. I do believe that people underestimate. Uh, the the benefits of super and the value of super to them in their later years. I think that's unfortunate. And I think I wish we had more people out there really, really pushing how important super is rather than talking about how you can get 10,000 out when you need it because of COVID or you can, you know, take money out. I I knew someone who took money out of their super to have cosmetic surgery done Mm. uh, because she was able to say that she had a, psychological disorder that only cosmetic surgery could fix um i just wish there were more people explaining how valuable super can be when you finally get to it and how important it is but you know that's another show so you need to become literate about property and to be literate that means it's not whether or not it should have a tin roof or a tile roof or be brick veneer or any of those things but where you're buying it in the first place You shouldn't even be thinking about what you're buying until you've established where you're buying. And you can only know where you're buying when you know what drives growth. Because cash flow is important, I've always said that. But growth overall is critical as well. There's no point in going through the exercise, which is a risky one, unless you are going to get growth at the end. So you need to know what drives growth. And the big things are, a population growing faster than the national average a diversity of industry in the area itself or where it's a suburb of a city the ability for people to easily get to where they're going to work and that workplace, the, the work options have to be diverse not just one industry and obviously economic vibrancy in the area and it's easy to tell whether a town or a region or a a, a a city is economically vibrant or not But finally, the one that most people miss, I believe, is that family demographic. And it is families that make areas grow. If it's an aging population, we don't get as much money spent in the community. If it's a younger population, we tend to find they're very itinerant. and We don't see a lot of businesses being started. If it's a family demographic, you think about it, People don't want to move around while their kids are in school. They don't like their kids to be going to different schools Mm. all the time. So if you've got two kids or three kids, you've got a 15 to 20 year window of schooling, which means you're going to stay in an area for 20 years. And if that area also has all of those other things I talked about, it's going to become in demand. People aren't going to sell. Property uh, supply is going to be limited demand will increase and that's when we start to see growth.
0: Yeah and and that's one of the reasons why you liked uh, areas north of Brisbane where there was uh, a railway line being built, a university was going in and the whole whole thing was like the perfect uh, storm of great things to help property prices.
2: Yeah and and look I think that the problem becomes Pete that people are looking to get into those er areas. People are always trying to second guess the market. They're looking to get into those areas that are going to have a sudden boom just after they buy. And if you can continually do that time and time again, good on you. And if you are prepared to um, include all of the the high costs of buying, selling and capital gains tax in that, because you've got to make a pretty good short-term gain to make that flipping strategy work well every time Mm. and you've got to be you've got to have a bit of a master stroke in my opinion I mean I like to think I'm a bit of an expert in property but I've chosen areas that haven't performed the way I thought they were going to perform Mm. and so to do it right every time and to really make good money out of flipping I think it's it's a risky game and one that not a lot of people can make happen. And most people don't have the time for that. Let's be honest. Okay. We're buying property when we're trying to build a life and have a career. We don't have time to be that hands-on in buying that property and managing the portfolio and working out when to sell. And most people don't sell at the right time anyway because they just want to hang on for that bit more, that bit more. You see it happen all the time mm. with people who are buying shares. Yep. They just want to hang on for that bit more growth and then they miss that bar, that selling window. And it's easier to miss a selling window in property because it can take a while to sell. Yeah. So the important thing to understand is that you've got to get into an area, first of all, you've got to have a timeline of 10 to 15 years as a minimum. Don't think about short-term timeframes, but secondly, you need to be able to buy into those areas that will give you a good return most years out of that 10 to 15 years. I always use Adelaide as an example because I know people think Adelaide just plods along and it does but if you take a 20-year window of Adelaide and compare it to a 20-year window of Sydney and Melbourne there's actually not a big difference between how the overall growth has been if you take into account the highs and lows of Sydney and Melbourne and the fact that Adelaide just keeps going up every year by a little bit. A little bit and a little bit and there are plenty of areas around the country like that mm. so those fa- family demographics in areas that you're talking about like in the northern suburbs of brisbane you know that there's so much happening there to support that growth of families in the area we're already looking at reduced land supply we're getting more and more schools and with the big university and we're seeing medical centers and doc you know doctors offices, hospitals being built up around that way we're seeing so much happening all at once there and many years of infrastructure to come that there's no reason why it would be a bad area to invest in so it's either going to be a pretty good or a very good place to buy and the beauty of that area is that the cash flows are very good too so it doesn't cost you much to sit in an area like that and just wait until that whole growth is developed out okay the final point the fourth point The final point is one that I think you'll like, and that is to consider your risk profile before buying property. And it always stuns me that people just buy property because they think it's a good idea. And they have a notion that because they're using equity in their own home, that they've got nothing on the line. You know, if you've got $200,000 in your hand in cash, I reckon that you'd be pretty careful about where you invested that 200,000. You'd want to be getting advice from the best financial advisors with the greatest reviews and the best performance background. You'd want them to be investing your money into something that's pretty secure, but has a good opportunity for short and long-term gains. And yet when it comes to property, because many people are using that equity in their own home, they're not thinking about the fact that they borrowed $500,000. They have $500,000 on the line here. And although they got it from the bank, it's still their responsibility. And so what they often do is they'll think, well, you know, I've lived here for X amount of time. This is going to be a great investment because I like it and therefore they invest there. When in reality, they could live in an area that has an investment that carries greater risk and therefore wouldn't be right for them. So risk is all about buying the property that's appropriate for your own personal cash flows. And again, your time till retirement. Some properties are riskier than others. The example I gave at the beginning of the interview was the golf course estate, which is a very risky investment or an investment in an area that is driven by tourism. Well, we all know now after COVID has hit that that's a very risky investment and the risk can come from somewhere that you don't even expect or cannot anticipate. Mm. If you then talk about a three bedroom house in an area with families and lots of schools and some good employment, maybe in that sort of not cheap market, but you know, not certainly not million dollar market, then that carries a lot less risk because they're always in demand from tenants. They're always in demand from buyers and you've got first home buyers in that mix, mix to boost up the demand. Then that sort of thing has less risk. So understand your risk and risk relates to how much money you're prepared to lose. And that is the kind of property that you should be buying. You have to understand every property has a different risk rating. And my books actually show show those risk ratings of the different property types as well. Okay,
0: great summary, Margaret. And I I never, ever let you go without asking you a question like this. What's your favourite suburb now or area for property investing?
2: Well, I think I'm going to shock you at the moment, because I'm going to shock you because I've talked about the northern suburbs of Brisbane. And of course, just because I have a new favorite doesn't mean that they're knocked off the perch Mm. by any means. But I'm liking Ellenbrook in Perth at the moment, Mm. because we have an extreme undersupply of rentals there with rents going up fairly quickly. You know, we had a client who we helped to buy a property over there just recently Um, And once it's settled, he got $50 a week more than had been anticipated. It's a closing window, but certainly as the heat returns to the Perth market, it's areas like Ellenbrook, which is a real family area that is going to be getting most of the interest. Um, And while I'm on that subject, there's an old fave of mine up there by the name of Balga. And I guess it's a little like... You know, Sydney's Mount Druitt and how well that suburb did, contrary to expectations. Balga is, is Perth's Mount Druitt. Okay. Um, I think that there's some good buying to be had there. Big changing demographic, mm. certainly plenty of opportunity.
0: Well, once upon a time, uh, Paddington and Sydney was urban blight. No one wanted to live in Paddington in the bad old days and suburbs <laughs> can change, can't they?
2: And Balmain, another good example.
0: Yeah, exactly. Margaret Lomas from destiny.com.au.
2: Thanks for joining us. Thank you. And, Pete, just uh, before you go, if I've actually got 20 of my books, the 20 Must Ask Questions, to give to your viewers. Um, so uh, yep. the first 20, I guess, that email you and you can forward them on to me. I'd be happy to provide those. Uh,
0: great. And we'll put a, a um, an address on the, uh, the uh, screen for people to go to. Great stuff. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. From time to time, I like to talk to Paul Miliotis and Paul Mirren from M Square Capital because these guys are actually operating at the coalface of the property market. And so I want to go and see what they're seeing, uh, and, uh, and that will probably give us some real insights to what's going on. In what is described as being a very hot market. Great to see you guys. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. All right. So, um, before we start talking about that, we probably should just, in a nutshell, explain what you guys do. So, uh, Paul, yeah. what does M Square Capital? So we're a uh, private mortgage
3: uh, fund. Yeah. Uh, we meet. We match basically borrowing opportunities uh, where people borrow money with investors who want to have a stable return on their capital.
0: Yeah. So, so Paul. Gives a classic example of how you
4: guys actually do your stuff in, in terms of look peter a borrower will come to us mm. and have a need for finance what kind of borrower is it look the way the borrower was generally is always for commercial purpose yeah. so a borrower would come to us with a need for finance mm. um, they for argument's sake would have a commercial building that they would need to raise some money against right. they'd come to us um, they would request money we would then do our credit proposal, put it up to our investors who have money that want to return for their money, yeah. um, and effectively our investors share in the interest that's received for that borrower, yeah. and that's how they get their return.
0: Yeah, and, and, and what kind of capital do they have to put up? What kind of um, collateral do they have to put up to, to yeah. make, make sure you can get your money back?
4: Look, we, we yeah. take residential security, commercial and industrial property. Mm-hmm. Um, we are predominantly Sydney-based lenders. Mm -hmm. Um, So look, we we found it great in this market because Sydney's been so resilient. Mm -hmm. Um, And we tend to skew to the residential side because we've seen there's a bit of risk when you're lending against commercial assets, Mm -hmm. um, particularly because of COVID. So
0: if someone has maybe like a a $10 million house for simple numbers, Mm -hmm. what would the most they could borrow?
3: Oh look, depending on the house, but look, we would shy away from going
0: anything over 65%. -hmm. Um, so they might, they might get 6.5 mil if, the, yep. if the, the project's good and the house is an easy sell. That's right. Okay, right, we get the, we get the idea now. Yep. All right, so one thing we're hearing about is that the regions are doing really well. So, right.
3: so what are you guys seeing in the regions? Well, look, uh, I think you've, um, the, the data, recent data mm-hmm. in relation to how quickly um, prices are going up in regional areas are quite astounding. Mm-hmm. I think last month CoreLogic said it's 1.6%. Mm-hmm. So we are seeing the largest exodus of internal migration from Sydney and Melbourne going to regional areas because of COVID-19, because they can buy a house for much cheaper lifestyle purposes, they don't have to go into the offices regularly. Um, So from our perspective, um, you know, if you are looking to buy a house and and, you know, there was an old saying, um, whether you're buying a house, your own house shouldn't be considered as an investment property. Mm -hmm. If you're buying your own house, it's your own house but for investors should be a little bit careful from our perspective mm-hmm. and uh, us as fund managers we're very careful or cautious of lending money against regional areas
0: okay so therefore you guys have been here in the past east coast was particularly important yep. sydney and melbourne over brisbane but you you will go to brisbane if it's a very good deal i guess yeah, yeah. No, but but you, you and is it is it because I'll in regions, it's sometimes hard harder to actually do a sale and get rid of a property. If any I'll go through the logic why
3: regional areas has a lot of volatility in it. Mm. See, where you have Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane, your people are centricated to certain areas, mm. uh, to convenience schools, things such as that. If you're going into a regional area and there's a boom in that area, you can, there's unlimited land that you could unlock overnight. Yeah. Developers start building yeah. and you go from high demand, low supply to high supply, Mm-hmm. And then if that trend that we saw, this, this short-term trend that people want to go into regional areas yeah. right now, yeah. turns around because uh, people are needed to go back into the city and back into the office, yeah.
0: that could overturn very quickly. That's a very important point. If yeah. people are buying in the regions, hoping for capital gains based right. on what they've seen recently, yeah. but that's based on a constant supply. As the supply changes, that potential capital gain could go off the board. That's yeah. right. Great, great point. Let's go to the next area. You guys are you know, big in the commercial and industrial space, uh, mm. people come to because they might have difficulty getting money from banks because they're doing a, a business t- type borrowing.
4: Um, so what are you seeing there? Look, we're seeing a lot of, look in the recent past, we've seen a lot of inquiry on all three aspects of, of that asset mm. class. From our perspective, we think look residential is where we would skew a lot of our investments. We see the residential market, um, whether it's houses or units, you can argue which one's a better class. Um, We are very um, happy to take those securities. We think the risk of properties going significantly down in value, particularly in where we're looking in the Mm. Eastern Seaboard, is unlikely. Mm. When you're looking at commercial, um, the government stimulus is is stopping. Um, We can see cracks in certain tenancies. With commercial property values, they are Mm. based on tenancies. So when we're lending and we see a commercial tenant, we have to look really strongly at the tenancy so we we are very very cautious not saying we wouldn't um, lend against a commercial or industrial property but i think you should be a lot more cautious when you're doing so have you
0: lent to somebody who's bought a commercial property and because of coronavirus they're not quite as a strong um um yeah borrower because of that? Yeah,
3: absolutely, it happens. Mm. But it's very interesting to note, um, and we're watching this very, very carefully. So for example, the inner city apartments, I think the stats came in today, the vacancy rate has actually doubled. Mm. Talking to the agents, the values haven't fallen. So is that, is that, assign what's going to happen in the future Mm. uh, or not. Uh, Same thing with residential property, and I'll go through it a little bit more detail later, but with residential property as well, a lot of investment properties are vacant at the moment, Mm. uh, in certain pockets of Sydney as well, Mm. but the price haven't fallen as yet, so. Is that because
0: a lot of the investors are are waiting this out thinking that, okay, it's not great, I'm not getting Airbnb overseas people, I'm not getting foreign students, but in a year's time I will. Yeah. So I rather than maybe taking a 10 or 15% loss on the purchase price, I'll wait a year. Well, they're not taking
3: a hit on the price. Mm. They, one of two things are happening. They, uh, interest rates are very low. Yeah. So That's cushioning Correct. that shock. Yeah. Second of all, um, Second of all, there's a bank mon- monitorium at the moment, so mm. even if you, you know, if you call up your bank for and you say, look, I don't have a tenant, mm. um, they can't take any legal action against you. So yep. um, I think all those elements together has actually provided a very low supply of that lo- low supply onto the market. So mm. therefore, there isn't a uh, downward mm. pressure on it. But not to say, f- as a, mo- a fund manager, and for us to take security over these assets. Mm. I'm gonna be a bit more cautious. Because even though if I read the headlines of the newspaper and RBA saying that the house prices could go up by 30% over the next three years, Mm. I need to look at worst case scenario because the whole system in relation to lending money is to make sure that I preserve your capital.
0: Industrial doing well, I presume?
3: Industrial doing exceptionally well. Um, And and the reason why industrial uh, land is doing so well is because obviously there's a demand for that sector, people buying online but there's not enough land mm. uh, as well. So, you know, if you look at it from a planning perspective, there's only X amount of industrial land across Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane mm. in certain areas. Mm. Uh, there's lack of it.
0: Well, a lot, a lot of people watching this uh, program would be interested in your, your take about houses versus units. You yeah. touched on it already. Uh, mm. And I think what the question that they're, they're thinking is, mm. is there really good value out there for, for people to start looking at home units because of um, well, two things: people moving out of the city, yep. Yep. office blocks are relatively empty compared to where they were.
3: Yeah, what's the take? Look, um, um, Core Logic. Once again, I follow them because they have really good data as well. The difference between the, uh, the, the gap between houses and units have never been wider at the moment. Yeah. Uh, in
0: sim- price growth we're talking about? Not price
3: but it's a difference in value. So the, median, the, the, the value has yeah. not been wider. So the,
0: the, the median uh, price of a home in Sydney compared to a median price of an apartment, has biggest gap ever it's going why and that trend will probably continue but has well. a gap been created because houses gone, gone up and up, and and units have and down units up. have gone down marginally yeah. i think point. so on a relative basis then paul mm. units are attractive
4: they will be we think that units will catch up to houses but it might take a bit of time we yeah. believe that when the mm. borders open mm. um people will come into sydney or they'll yeah. come into the centers and they're going to re- mm. they're going to rise so to your point um, is it a good time to buy? You'd be arguing there will be buyers out there. Mm. Um, rates are low, and it, we, we do believe it will okay. catch up and it will follow, but it might take some time. Well, as Warren
0: Buffett said, and you guys know it, when everyone's greedy, be, um, be um, uh, fearful. When yep. everyone's fearful, be greedy. Yep. That's right. Yeah.
3: But uh, it's but it's remarkable to see how prices for units hasn't fallen, mm. same way of the other analogy I gave with commercial, mm. in the midst of there's less than... Uh, overnight, we lost 550,000 people in Sydney mm. who needed those dwellings. Yeah. So, you know, you had the students, the tourists, mm. uh, all those people have left overnight mm. and we haven't had net migration as well. So okay. units do really well when net migration will come back. Cor- Cor-
0: correct me if I'm wrong, I know you will because you always love to try and find fault with me. To <laughs> so date, you never have. <laughs> never, never, <laughs> <laughs> never, never, ever, never, 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 never. never, never. <laughs> but um, when you guys started this, in this business, mm. Were you worried about the calibre of the apartment buildings, the blocks that were being built then compared to now? The quality?
3: Absolutely. Like we've, unfortunately we've inherited a, um, probably a negative philosophy in relation to building as many dog boxes as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. And the consequence of it now is that without the students, they're, they're
0: predominantly empty. Yeah. Um, and a lot of buyers, I guess, are a bit suspicious of new builds. And I, I know yeah. I've had people on my program saying, well, they're better off even looking at 30-year-old buildings. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've stood the test of yeah. time. Yeah. The red they, bricks. Yes, yeah, right. And you can actually see if there's any potential uh, da- danger or problem there. But yeah. these bigger ones are probably spooking a lot of younger people. Yeah, and they probably are. But um, I believe that there's a
3: very significant demand for larger apartments that yeah. don't exist, mm. they haven't been built yet. Yeah. I, in, in mostly in Sydney, Brisbane is, pr- is a different market. They mm. do have, they do have some larger apartments traditionally in their planning. But yeah. Sydney, uh, in most of the areas, mm. people have have not pr- traditionally tried to build a two-bedroom apartment larger than 85 square yeah. meters.
0: I, I noticed, and you guys know the area well, um, Rosebury, where a lot of apartments have been built in recent rest time, a lot of those seem pretty big. And I guess they are people who would like to have a a home in the eastern suburbs, a house, but they can't get it. So Mm. they think, well, let's get a big apartment, every walking distance um, to to, to golf and parks and Mm. beaches and stuff like that. Uh, But that's the kind of apartment that you think would have capital gain over time? It should have capital gain
3: over time because the demand for it will increase Mm. as things get normal after COVID. So there's a typical type of, Tenant that will be uh, requiring that type of dwelling, um, and we just don't have them around at the moment. So I think it it will normalise once COVID finishes. But there's still opportunity in the market. Hmm. Um, You know, for example, in Bondi, who would have thought Bondi blue chip suburbs? um, If you have older, unrenovated apartments, I've I've heard from property managers they've been vacant for six months. Um, And even Uh, if you're owned by
0: investors and they yeah. usually rented out for yeah. the, the the enormous crowd that goes in our airbnb style i guess yeah
3: and and look even if they're dropping it at 100 200 uh, a week less let's call it 10 15 they're still not getting enough interest mm-hmm. so it, that is a remarkable situation mm-hmm. um but as i said even more remarkable the price haven't gone down those assets mm. the borrower perspective
0: you yeah, is there is there really a good deal flow going on right we, we look we are we're yeah.
4: seeing we're seeing a lot and th- there's two reasons that we've analyzed why um when the banks are analyzing um borrowers they're looking at for, look for payg borrowers i think they and that are buying residential property hmm. that's the banks are doing well with, yeah. with delivering that when they're in, when they are coming to the business operators that may have affected been affected by COVID. Hmm um the banks typically like mm. historical data when they look at the data of what happened in COVID. when people have had a bit of a downturn i think to get their head around um, how the business is trading now has caused an inflow of borrowers to us yeah. so, so a
0: cbd business you know yeah. uh, obviously had a bad run for a year
4: well that, that's one but just say for example we've, yeah. we've had an, a borrower come to us that said mm. look I did get affected significantly during COVID, mm. but now I'm trading better than I did at COVID. I went to the bank, it took them four months to assess my deal, and they couldn't see the, the way I was trading. The way we assess deals is slightly different. We forensically look at their accounts, we forex- forensically mm. look what hits there, so we can okay. verify what they're making now, mm. historically what they are made, mm. and we're talking um, clients with properties in Manly in in blue chip so they're very good collateral very good collateral and
0: usually their business would be made easy to borrow but because of coronavirus yeah there's a been bit, a, ab- a bit of a dip and now they're going, going so away. and they yeah.
3: can't see they can't prove to the bank that it's gone up because the banks are quite conservative and they want 12 months worth of trading yeah now we've only come out of lockdown four or five months yeah. so you know, so we take we took a different opinion mm-hmm. we said okay well give me your uh, current bank statements. So we do an assessment, basic basically, on what's going on in the last two or three months. Yeah. Yeah. A, a deviation from what the bank can do. Um, they have good security. Um, we look at the character of the individual. We want to see at the worst time when things actually dipped, how they behave. Mm. They they keep paying their mortgages and obligations. Mm. They did everything they could. Mm. So they sold assets. They did everything they could. So you know, we look at the character of the individual, we look at the assets, we look at the situation, and so we can be a bit more flexible and we, and we can be a lot quicker as well. Mm. That we finance it for a 12 month term, if the business goes back to normal, then they can go back to the bank in 12 months, no issue no, at all. Mm. So those are the type of opportunities that we're seeing right now, they're quite unique, mm. um, and investors are still getting a very good return. So mm. on that particular opportunity, it's above 7% net return to
0: the investor. And So, so the borrower was paying about what? Uh, the borrower was paying about nine. Yeah. On that particular and what, situation, and what, what if they could have got through to the bank, and the bank mm. said yes? What would the bank
3: charge? Uh, a uh, bank would have charge them threes. Yeah. So it's a it's a significant premium yeah. for them not to sell all their assets, not to pay stamp duty, mm. not
4: to you know, you know. I think one important point there, Peter, as well. It, it, historically, the one I know the the deal that Paul's got in his mind. Yeah. Historically, this is a bank bankable client. Mm. It's, it's not like sometimes there's a misconception that you, you go into a mortgage fund and, and some of them might it's be doing it, yeah. are in high risk. This is a bankable client, you're looking at a security that's based in the middle of, you know, within 20K radius of the city. Yeah. <laughs> this trading business is turning over, let's use high level of five million yeah. bucks, yeah. You're not talking someone that There's is not a in a reason. Point. Yeah, that's right. It's so not a start It's not a startup
0: business. And that's why you said yeah, probably within a year he'll be able to go to the bank and, and, and renegotiate. That's right. And so and we're there for we, a period we, of time. we
3: want him to go. Yeah, yeah. Like that's the whole purpose. Yeah. The, the, we want to raise the capital. We want to fix the
0: problem that he yeah. has right now. And, and he, he must have a, a very good business opportunity to, want, to be willing to pay 9% yeah, to, to make sure it happens. That's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so at, at the moment, in his field or
3: other business mm-hmm. operators as well, look, some of the competitors are not doing this, doing as tough as what he is. Yeah. And he has an opportunity to take a bit more market share. So for him, he goes, okay, it's an opportunity to cost. It's going to cost a little bit more money in finance, but I can actually solve that problem without thinking
0: about it. I can just focus on my business and grow it. Okay, guys. If people want to know more about your business, what's the website?
4: www.msqcapital.com. But Peter, on that view, anyone that's listening can call us directly. We have no issue with people calling us directly.
0: Well, that's the show for this week. Thanks for joining us. In case you didn't know, I have a financial planning business called Switzer Advisory. And if you're ever needing help trying to build your wealth, contact us on switzeradvisory.com.au or you can call 1300 Switzer. Thanks for joining us. See you next week.